Hello, 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 and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism and create a world where racial equity is the norm. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Today, we are going to be talking about the cultural flip side, uh, which happens to be the name of the podcast as my uh, the podcast that my guest today hosts. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today. And we're going to be talking about colorism. I know we've spoken about that before, but this time we're going to talk about it from the Latinx community. And so I want to invite you to enter into the space as always by preparing ourselves for the deep conversation that we're going to have and inviting us to simply breathe, to take a moment to center ourselves and find our breath. So if you're not driving along in your car and you want to close your eyes, I invite you to do that. And to really tune into that which gives you life. Take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. As you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Breathe in and out. Acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take a deep breath in and sigh it out. And let's begin. My guest today is the wonderful Daisy Torres. And we are going to be talking about the impact of anti-Blackness and colorism that is really worldwide where those with lighter skin are systematically and culturally favored in virtually every community of color, including those of Latin descent. It amazes me when I travel across the world and in countries particularly where they will say we don't have an issue of racism, but yet I always see the darker person really at the bottom of the socioeconomic status most often, but yet people think it's related to something else. So why is there this commonality? Why is the supremacy of whiteness so significant everywhere we go? And so we're going to talk today with my guest, Ms. Daisy Torres, soon to be Dr. Daisy Torres. (laughs) We're going to discuss Colorism in the Latinx community, but we're also going to be discussing something else because Daisy is the director of services for multilingual learners, dual and world languages for the Harford Public Schools. We're actually going to get into a little bit of what happens to students and individuals who are bilingual in this country. How do we treat those individuals? How do we see white supremacy rear its ugly head, not just with white folks, but with folks of color as well, when it comes to being bilingual and bilingual education? One of the other things that I want to share about Daisy is that she has over 20 years of experience working in urban schools, whether it's as a teacher, a department head, a chairperson, or an administrator, she has been dedicated to working with our young people. In 2019, she published her first book, which is bilingual in both Spanish and English. It is a children's book, and it's called I'll See You on the Bridge. And it's a heartfelt story about a young boy 
the beautiful and his beautiful relationship with his dog and pet loss, something that we all can identify with if we are pet lovers. (laughs) She is the co-host of the podcast, The Cultural Flip Side with Kevin Booker, who's also been a guest on the show. So I want to welcome to the show today, Daisy Torres. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Avery, for that wonderful introduction. I am very honored to be here this morning. This is just such a blessing. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, thank you for honoring the invitation. (laughs) So I want to just jump right into it because there's so, so much for us to talk about. First and foremost, though, to do this work that you do on looking at students uh, in terms of bilingual and multilingual education and also understanding colorism and the racism that exists within the Latinx community, that work can be so rewarding, Mm -hmm. but it can also be daunting. And so I'd Mm -hmm. like to find out what grounds you in this work. That's a great question. And I think, you know, for me, I think I would like to tell a little story about who I am and how I identify and what brought me to the world of education and this work. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, um, I, you know, I've been an educator, as, I, as Dr. Avery mentioned, for over 20 years. I've been born and raised in Meriden, Connecticut, um, born here in the States in the mainland, um, but my family is from Puerto Rico. I'm very proud to be a Puerto Rican Latina. I'm very proud of my uh, language and culture. And, you know, for me as growing up as um, a student, I had the honor and privilege of having a really good education system. Um, You know, I know that's not the case for many of our students of color. And so for me, I want to talk about that for for a reason. You know, as a student, uh, my parents, you know, the way that they were brought up had a lot of impact on how I was raised as a student. And because of that experience, it does shape who you are as an adult. And so just to give you a quick background, uh, my mom came here um, from Puerto Rico with no English. Um, She was, uh, you know, had a hard time in school, um, ridiculed, you know, bullied, um, just really made to feel inferior because she didn't know English. Um, She worked very hard and she worked, um, you know, really to, to gain that English proficiency so that she could make a better life for herself. And she did. She was able to move on to graduate and get a college degree, but it came with a lot of struggle and some perseverance and some hard times. My dad, on the other hand, had a very, a little bit of a different experience. He came, um, born in New York, went back and forth to Puerto Rico and and the States. And he grew up more in a bilingual home where my grandfather had to own the business, had to learn English. Um, And so he learned both. He grew up from very little learning both languages. So um, very different experiences. And I I bring that to the table because when they had me, um, they married and had me, they came into that parenting in a very different approach. And that approach was my mom was like, I need her to really, you know, do well in school and and have all the opportunities and, and, and things that I did not have. So they raised me learning English first. I didn't learn Spanish. Um, I'm fully bilingual today, but that was not the case as a child. And so I, you know, yes, Abuelita spoke to me in Spanish and I was able to understand some words, but I did not grow up in a bilingual home in that sense. I had exposure to the language. And that's many of our students here in the United States. They're called heritage learners, right? They're exposed to languages at home. They have the culture, but they may not necessarily be proficient in the language. And that totally um, described me. Um, and so I grew up that way for, for quite a few years. And, and, you know, it bothered me by the time I got into high school that I didn't really understand that side, that identity that I really felt I was missing. Um, I learned the language. I learned the culture. I went through um, studies in high school and college to really just um, get myself educated so that I learned. And it really impacted my work today um, because I wanted to make sure that students um, when when they're growing up, that they are, have pride in their culture and in their language and that they don't lose it. You know, there's part of me that wishes, a lot of me wishes that I had had that from the very beginning. And this is why I'm so passionate about lifting multiculturalism, bilingualism, right? And dual language programming, because it really does, it, 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 it brings value and asset to students, not only because of their cultural identity, 
but it's a it's a a benefit to the work employment global literacy and um i there's so many values and benefits to it that it has become my passion and my work today um it's not easy because what what part of this work is advocacy and I'm very passionate. Anybody who knows me knows I'm very passionate about this kind of work because you have to stand up for children, right? This, this kind of work, you either have to, I've always said that when you go into education, you're, you, it's not one of these jobs where it's like nine to five and you kind of can smooth through. You have to love it and be very passionate about it, which I am. And it's because I feel that I need to be a voice and be, um, you know, a strong, um, advocate for students and families so that they understand that, you know, the, the importance and that, you know, what we're doing in, in terms of educating their children is the right thing to do. I'll just give you this quick bit for a moment. 20% of people in the United States can converse in, in two or more languages, just 20%. And even though, you know, when you look at countries like Europe, right, they're up to 56%. And I think that number is even higher now. That's according mm. to the U.S. Census. And when mm. I think about that, it's like we are we are way way behind here in the United States, right? But and I, that's think, I think a part of that, though, um, Daisy, and we're going to have to take a break in a few minutes. You said you said a lot in there that I want to yeah. go back and touch upon after the break. But I think a lot of that deals with supremacy still, right? Because um, we see English as the predominant language. And everybody must speak that. We always hear people say, why don't you speak English? Even though our country is filled with, filled with people who don't speak English and we can all, we can learn how to speak other languages as well. But that, that's about that supremacy right there, isn't it? You yes. know, you must speak that. So what I want to do um, is to really just unpack a lot of what you just said. Uh, and I do want to um, just point out right before we go to the break, because this show is about uncovering and educating folks. And there was something that you did that was very subtle when you spoke. And I just want our audience to be able to pick up on the ways in which we, as people of color, have to really think about who we are and how we show up every single day. And we also have to think about the assumptions. Now, you may not even have been cognizant, cognizant that you did this, but you said when my parents had me, and then you went back and said married and had me. There's an assumption for people of color that our parents have us out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. And it's such a subtle thing that you did to just correct that in that moment. A part of that is about racism and white mm -hmm. supremacy, because what we do as people of color, particularly people of color who are uh, at a higher socioeconomic status, maybe, um, and maybe even other folks as well, but I know those of us who are leaders will often have to make sure that we are presenting who we are in a way that says, I'm not this person over here that you think I am. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. But the point is, we are always having to think about how we present to the world. And so I just wanted to point that out as a teachable moment, just for those people who are listening, how subtle it was, but how it was something that, uh, that I picked up on, because I know it's a something that we have to do. But we're going to take a really quick break and we're going to come back and unpack um, some of the things that you said there and continue our discussion on multilingual and bilingual uh, experiences in this country. My guest today is Daisy Torres. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and this is Dismantle Racism. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. are back with my guest today, Daisy Torres. Um, Daisy, before the break, you quoted us a statistics on about 20% of the people in this country being bilingual. And it made me really think a lot about the ways in which we pressure people to speak English in this country. There's no openness to folks, to us even learning something else. So, So we will say you have to take a Spanish course. You have to take foreign language. That's what we say. But we really don't teach people to immerse themselves in the language of their choosing. So I took Spanish in high school. I took Spanish in college. I am not bilingual. My daughter, on the other hand, is uh, she's, I wouldn't call her bilingual yet, but she is minoring in Spanish in college. And she did spend some time abroad So that helped to immerse her in it. And I feel that there are ways in which we superficially tell people that they need to learn another language. But also when you spoke about your parents' experience, your parents were really, it's like no other choice, but I have to learn this. And one of the things that I witnessed happening when I worked in the school system is that just like you said, then parents didn't necessarily teach their kids their native language. Kids could understand it, but they didn't necessarily speak it. That's a stripping of one's identity and culture and heritage. The other thing that I witnessed happening, so there there are multiple things. I witnessed when kids would speak in Spanish in school, or particularly when I worked in a juvenile delinquent facility, people would say, don't speak Spanish because I don't understand what you're saying. And you might be plotting. That's racist in and of itself. Sometimes people just converse in in their native language because it's easier. The other thing that I witnessed happening from a school perspective is that there would be times that I would be in a meeting with a student and their parents, and the student was translating for the parents. That then changes the power dynamic. So there's so many things that go into what you are speaking of. And I would love you as an educator just to maybe touch upon even just the power dynamics with students and, and, and also how that impacts the parent and how it impacts student learning when uh, parents essentially just say, well, the school wants them to learn English and this is the way that they have to go. So learn English. Talk to me about that. Um, actually, you're, you're on mute. Take yourself off. There we go. <laughs> Get it. And there we go. So, you know, what you're describing, Dr. Avery, is exactly what you just mentioned. That's a deficit mindset that um, we often experience 
encounter in the school system. You know, the reality is our school system isn't designed to embrace the multiculturalism right as it is right now. And I'm just going to I'm going to be honest about that. I've worked in a few districts. I've worked in three districts in Connecticut. Um, and, you know, we have a very English only approach. Um, and it has it has been this way, um, as, you know, um, in the system for for quite a few years. It's only been recently that you're starting to see a little pockets of um, embracing multiculturalism and bilingualism. For example, a new initiative that the state just adopted in 2017 and the State Department of Education is called the Seal of Biliteracy. And that seal is given to graduating seniors on their high school diploma. It's an actual seal that says Connecticut Seal of Biliteracy. And it's given to seniors, graduating students who, um, it's an honor. It's demonstrating their proficiency in a language other than English. And in some cases, some students have, have mastered two um, other languages besides English, therefore making them trilingual. And so in, in Harvard Public Schools, for example, we are you know, one of the leaders in this work because we have such a large population. We're one of the largest um, school districts in Connecticut. But I bring that to the table because it's just been recent, right? We're starting, you know, the research has been around for years around mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, the importance of maintaining your home language and how that if you do develop those skills in the native language, they only help you when you are acquiring exactly. this next English, right? They're actually, they're transfer skills. And mm-hmm. so when you learn to read, for example, you only learn to read in one language. You're just transferring those skills into the new language. So I think what happens in education is there's not a lot of understanding around the research. And I'll give you another example. Having been in um, an education prep program at the university when I became a teacher, I only had to take one course, Mm -hmm. um, one course on how to work with students whose first language is not English. And given the growing population in the last 15 years of identified multilingual learners, There should be absolutely more work at the university levels and alternate route programs to better prepare our future teachers with that understanding. Because I'll tell you, I was an elementary school teacher. I remember my beginning years, I did not know anything about Mm -hmm. how to work with diverse student populations, right? And so I think when we have many of our educators who unfortunately don't have that background, they're working with families and they're just pushing the English. They, they're working, they're, and, and, and I'll be honest, it's not a, a place of malice. It's a place of sometimes I don't know, right? Any well, better. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I get that. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think I'm a little bit older than you. And I can remember when I was in college in the 80s, when they were already talking about the changing population. So there really mm-hmm. isn't an, yes. an excuse. And this is where I think racism comes into mm-hmm. play, because we have been ignorant for far too long or mm-hmm. playing ignorant for far too long, because we've known that the country is changing. So why are we not pushing education that teaches about diversity. I know that, that um, you know, as an adjunct professor, whenever I'm teaching a class, even if the class is not related to race, I'm teaching my students mm-hmm. about race and racism um, in this country and how things are different for different populations. Because if we do not, then our students don't know. And then the other travesty is when students take one class, they take the one class they get out and they begin to work. So some will say, I don't know enough. And then others think that they know it all from taking the one class. And then they get out and they make these horrible, deadly mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I, and, and I mean, deadly from a mental per- perspective, because you can actually do a lot to really um, help students to feel uh, less than, yes. right? And Absolutely. so you can make students feel unworthy. And one of the things that, that often happens. There are two things that I want to just speak to for what from what you're saying. And one is this, is that often when at home, parents don't teach the kids the language because they want them to learn English because that's what the school is pushing. What I have witnessed is that students then actually are not proficient in any language mm-hmm. sometimes because they'll do a version of English and Spanish and they speak that. But they don't know how to do the, the English or the Spanish because they're not being taught properly, you know, when that happens. And so our school system has to do something about that. But even at home, we have to begin to embrace a little bit more of our heritage. 
but that's hard to do when it comes with trauma. And I say trauma because there's significant trauma when you come to this country and you don't speak English and you have to deal with what other people are throwing at you constantly. Right. Yeah. I, and I completely agree with what you're saying. I think parents, you know, people who are coming and immigrating here from different countries, they have a lot going on already, right? They're, they're entrusting the, um, you know, the education system to take care of their children, right? While they're trying to do other pieces like work and find housing and, you know, do those pieces to take care of their family. And so, you know, you're right. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on that that part of, around educating our families too, to don't let, don't lose that at home, right? Continue to read to your child in your home language, continue to talk, build up those social skills, because again, we'll take care of getting them the academic languages skill set in English. We'll take care of that in school, but we don't want you to, um, to, to strip them, as you mentioned, of that you know, me being one of those that had that experience, I don't want to see that. And so that part of my work as, as an educator is to continually, you know, speak to parents, educate, have, um, you know, some, you know, parent meetings, webinars, you know, face-to-face when we pre-pandemic, right. (laughs) To really try to help families to understand that. And I, I will say to your point earlier, yes, this is, this is not new information. We we've seen, all the research for years. I mean, I remember the days when like TESOL and bilingual education was in the basement of schools, like to be hidden away, Mm, right? We have evolved. We, you know, it's nowhere near where it should be. We've come a long way. There's a lot of work to be done, but I personally, given the the number of, um, you know, of students in our state of Connecticut, the fact that we don't have more uh, bilingual type programs to continue to build those um, academic skills so that students can graduate um, with more than one language is just to me still very surprising as an educator. And I, I wonder, right, by the time I retire, um, what will happen? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're coming up on a break again, but I do want to, um, if we can, uh, when we come back, I do also want to know your opinion or get your thoughts around the other thing that I witnessed, two two things, and they are the, the opposites. One, I've witnessed students come from a different country, and they may come from a different country as a middle schooler or a high schooler, and people will think that they're, that let's say they're at a C level when they're actually at an A level because they may not be grasping the material because of the language barrier. And what I've noticed is that either they're diagnosed with a disability because I worked in the school as a school psychologist, or maybe not diagnosed, but just put in a lower level reading class or math class. And it's not that they were incapable of learning. It was the language barrier. And so there's a sadness around that because that means that they're not being educated. On the flip side, I have also witnessed students who've come from another country who could not speak the language and ends up graduating with honors because of something that was poured into those students and even their own tenacity to say, I'm going to learn this English and I'm going to learn to adapt. So when we come back from the break, I'd love for you to um, just give us your thoughts on that um, as well, because it's so important in our understanding of how these young people are seen in schools and how they also learn to navigate those school systems. So we're going to be right back with my guest today, Daisy Torres. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. TLC. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Daisy Torres. Daisy, before the break, um, I brought up some issues around students who come to this country who speak limited uh, English and those who are misplaced or underserved in education, uh, as well as those who figured out how to navigate the system and become honor students. So could you speak to that just a little bit in terms of your experience with these students? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, There is absolutely an over-identification of students who are identified as multilingual learners in special education in our schools today. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, we have to really understand the student holistically, right? We need to understand um, where the student's coming from the uh, educational experiences in the home country, uh, speaking to the parents, the families, understanding trauma and any um, you know, uh, experience that they may have had immigrating to this country. Um, th- there's a lot when that goes into the identification process that I think is overlooked in terms of really getting a full picture of the student before we just move to Um, identifying a student, right? For example, um, there are assessments um, that can be provided to students in their home language um, as, you know, and I know it's not available in every language, but, you know, even in your top two or three, we need to start thinking about how do we really get to understand where the student, what does the student know, right? We can't really know that and tease that out unless you let them do that in their language, right? If you're really trying to understand you know, what a student knows versus what they, you know, can, you know, understand, get to that root, right, by looking at the content, the skills, right, before we're making determinations, um, you know, and, and I always say, really, ba- basically, get to know the student, what are the student's strengths, what are the assets, you start thinking from that um, perspective versus um, a negative uh, deficit. One thing that I noticed that it has been also very interesting in my years of experience as an educator is the transcript evaluation. Here, like when a student comes in from another country and we have coursework, let's say that they have taken X amount of years of math, we have it on the transcript, it says they have the grade. I mean, we have a number where we can contact and get it, maybe get a, somebody to translate to, you know, if you wanted to further get information. But what I'm struggling with is how many of our students in high school are having to repeat courses because our system is saying that the coursework that they took is not good enough or valid. And, and I have again, a real problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that's mm-hmm. that elitism, right? That's yes. that white supremacy that we're going under. Daisy, as I hear you talk, though, one of the things that strikes me is that there are not enough bilingual assessors or evaluators, mm-hmm. and that there's funding that's needed to do that. So I think about the district that I used to work in. We had lots of students who uh, were Haitian, or we mm-hmm. had students who came from uh, multiple countries um, in, in South America. I mean, just everywhere. And so there were not enough translators. It, 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 and so we find that we need more money 
to do some of these things that we're talking about. And we need more people saying enough is enough. So for the teachers who are in the school system to be able to rally too, to say enough is enough, because when they're assessing a student in their classroom, if they've not had a class in college, like you said, or multiple classes in college, and if they're um, monolingual themselves, they really can't assess the students. And I, I really want us to understand that those who are listening today, this isn't about bashing teachers or the education no. system. This is really about helping us to uncover the ways in which we under undereducate our students. And then when those students get out, they aren't prepared to work in the world in the way that um, they need to work in the world to thrive in the world, not just survive. And so this is a problem that we see daily as it relates to um, just monolingual education is what I would call it. Um, we could stay on this forever, but I'd like to do uh, to, to shift us a little bit uh, in terms of, because I do want to talk about this colorism and how we see things even within our own communities. Um, but before shifting, I know you wrote your book that's mm-hmm. also bilingual and the purposes yes. of that, yeah. um, I'm assuming is, is, is to really mm-hmm. uh, enhance the, the individual's understanding culturally, but also mm-hmm. so that people can have a book that looks like them. But you can say more about your book sure. before we shift into it, please. No problem. Thank you so much. In 2019, I uh, published my first time book, my first children's book. I'm so excited. It's called I'll See You on the Bridge. And, you know, I wrote the book. It came up from a place actually to deal with grief because it's based on a true story. Um, It is based on my son's relationship with our family dog, Lily. And he was super attached to her. They had a beautiful relationship. I mean, it was um, everybody commented on just how touching and how rewarding it was. She was just like a child, right? She was a member of our family. And those who are out there who are listening, who are pet owners can totally relate um, of how um, important um, our pets are to us. And so, you know, when Lily passed, um, you know, I wrote the book because I was dealing with, as an adult, I was dealing with extreme grief um, with that passing. And if I was experiencing that, I could imagine what it would be like for children. And I want, I decided to write the book to help caregivers, teachers, parents, right, have a way to talk about grief because grief is a natural process of life, right? But we don't always have to look at it from, you know, a deep sadness. Yes, initially, that's what's going to happen. But it can also be looked at as a point of, you know, uh, peace and a way of moving on. And so the book, you know, talks about all of those pieces. And at the end, it really refers to, you know, how the little boy comes to terms with the um, passing of Lily. And it was important for me also to, to connect to my culture and to my roots. And I wanted to make this book accessible to all families, right? In, in, in the bilingual community. So I wanted it to be written in Spanish and English. Um, and, you know, it's something that can, can really help. I always thought it was just for younger students, but it has been read in middle schools, adults, uh, people seem to really take to it and said, I love it, you know, and I was able to practice my Spanish. Um, so it, it has really been um, a blessing um, mm-hmm. to, to many people. And so I'm, I'm really proud of that work. Well, congratulations mm-hmm. on your your book and and all the ways in which it's helping people as well. And so we're all, we're very appreciative of that, Daisy. Now let's let's talk about colorism in the Latinx community. I, you know, again, I can remember talking with a few friends of mine who uh, maybe were from DR or some other place like that, and they would say, "Oh no." no we don't have, you know, we don't have racism. And then I would go to events and those events, I would see one person who was my color Mm -hmm. other than me, you know, or, and it doesn't mean anything. It could just mean, it might just mean that they only have family that's of a certain hue. But then I would also hear those people making statements about other people who happen to be a little bit darker but they weren't making it based on race. They were making it based on grouping them in some way. Um, so talk to me about what you notice in the Latinx community. Well, I do think colorism is alive and well in the Latinx community as well. Um, I'll just start off with saying, you know, I 
you know, when you're, when you're talking about colorism, you also have to really look at your own self identity. Right. And I completely, um, understand my privilege as being a very light skinned Latina. And I understand where, where, what doors it has opened for me in certain spaces, right. I am completely aware of that. Um, and you know, my, in my culture and, and in even some of my family events, uh, absolutely. It seems, you know, that we are favoring that lighter skinned and, you know, for example, I, you know, get often told, you know, be careful in the sun, you know, you don't want to get too dark. And, and, and there's these underlining tones and, and, you know, um, comments, if you will, that are, are, you know, um, said, you know, about how you got to be careful about being dark. Right. And we know the history, at least where I'm going to speak from my background of being Puerto Rican, you know, we are a mix. Right. We are a mix of Spanish from the, you know, Spain, Spaniards. We are indigenous uh, population and we also have African-American with all mixed in. Right. Given all the history um, that had happened in Puerto Rico many years ago. And I, you know, we're aware of that. And I embrace that. Like my mother is very tan skinned. She has that 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 indigenous right um, coming through her. You could see she's got long, dark hair. She's beautiful. Right. And then oftentimes you know, you hear comments from her in the part. And she talks a lot about the experiences that she had younger about in comparison to her siblings who were very lighter skinned. My aunt, I have many aunts who, right. And how she was treated a certain way. Well, but yet in our culture, for some reason, it's not, it's not as talked about, right. It's mm-hmm. not as right. It's, it's subtle. It's indirects, it's comments, right. That, that often happen. Um, and I'll give you something that has happened to me too, and not necessarily about skin color, but just about, so you get an understanding of what happens in sometimes, um, you know, the Latino community as well. Sometimes I often get too that you are, um, are you really Puerto Rican, right? You were born on the mainland, right? You don't really look Puerto Rican. You look this, like, what does that mean? I don't look Puerto Rican, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and And I wonder, around, you know, some of these statements and, and comments. Um, but it, it goes to show you that um, it happens within our own culture as well when we talk about colorism. So that's an interesting statement that you just said, because I think that for many of us, uh, depending on our cultural heritage, like when I, if I go to, to Africa, for instance, uh, anywhere in Africa, I, I would be told you're not African. Right. There are people here who are, let's say, Italian and American. If they go to Italy, they're like, you're not Italian. And, and, and really, again, that begs to say, what is it that you're actually saying, saying to right. me? Right. But I understand it when you talk about the subtle things that people say, for instance. And I don't know if this is a thing in the Latin community, but. In our community, in the African community, in the Black community, one of the things that people often say is, oh, you have good hair. The hair is such a big thing, not understanding that when you talk about that good hair, because it's curly or it's whatever it is, what you're actually saying is good because it's closer to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing the subtle things that you hear in your community as well you know, correct that. So, so we have to actually take another quick break Mm -hmm. when we come back, if you can speak a little bit more about what are some other examples of colorism Mm -hmm. and what are some ways that, that you try to uh, educate folks and navigate that whole system as well, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with uh, my guest today, Daisy Torres. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. 
Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with Dismantle Racism. Daisy, before the break, we were talking about colorism and some of the ways that it shows up in the um, Latinx community. And I wonder what you have noticed around who gets what positions, what jobs, I mean, even within the community in ways that people are favored, because we know that we see it as it relates to who companies decide to hire, you know, what Latin folks they decide to hire versus another group that they won't. But within the community, what do you see showing up as it relates to who who is supported and who gets what positions, who's the leader, et cetera? Um, I believe you're muted. You're muted. Thank you. Um, I think within the education system, so I want to speak um, from that lens again, and I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, I think what's showing up a lot in spaces is um, people who either identify as a lighter, um, you know, a skin tone in terms of their race, but I also think just in spaces of education, we don't have enough people of color who are in those spaces to make decisions. And, and where you do see, unfortunately, where you do see um, people of color that are in power positions who can help um, change policy and make decisions are usually in those districts also who, have, who may have high numbers of students of color. And we're not seeing enough in spaces, right, where um, students can benefit from seeing all kinds of leaders, right, at the table. And we're not seeing enough of that. So, you know, in my work, I, you know, and it, and it talks a little bit about, for me, sometimes you wonder, like, in my position, you know, I know that I'm qualified, and I know that I, you know, I am highly educated, and, and I am entitled to this role. But sometimes you wonder in certain spaces, am I getting a position such as this is because I'm Latina, and I'm bilingual, Right. Mm-hmm. And you and you have to wonder, which kind of goes a little bit into like imposter syndrome, right, where you're, you're, you're starting to doubt sometimes where you're in spaces where there's power positions, whether um, your voice is, is there and, it, and how you get to those power positions, because it, mm-hmm. it, the dynamics there are very difficult to get to so that level. I, mm-hmm. and, and so, Daisy, I just want to say this one thing, just as a person of color to another person of color who has walked in those spaces. If they want to hire you because you're a person of color and bilingual, let them hire you and be then be surprised at the power that comes with that. Because I would have people to say to me, which is racist in and of itself, oh, they only have you in that position mm-hmm. because you're Black. And I would think, huh, I have a PhD. I wonder if that has anything to do with it. This right. is what I would say to myself. And then I would think, if that is their ignorance to hire me to be in that position, they don't know what they're in for because I'm not coming to sit on the sidelines and not give you my opinion and my value. So they want to do that, Daisy, let them do, do it. it. Don't have the imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Be who you are, which is this mm-hmm. dynamic woman of color who is bilingual, who is brilliant and who is capable of, you know, changing the world. And so 
I'm going to leave you with that for today. But uh, because okay. I know that our time is going, mm-hmm. Daisy, speak to me about the cultural flip side because, and we've actually been talking about the cultural flip side throughout this whole yes. uh, show. But talk to me because I know you do this podcast and you're addressing these issues mm-hmm. all the time. So tell our audience a little bit about it. Yes, thank you so much. Um, the cultural flip side um, is a, a video podcast um, that we um, stream through Facebook um, and YouTube, and it's a local podcast in which we. Um, I'm a co-host with Kevin Booker Jr. as you mentioned, and we are two educators. Kevin works in the higher ed um, world, and I work in K twelve. And we really like to bring on guests to really talk about cultural issues. It could be language, it could be race, it could be politics, it could be um, community issues that are surfacing that we feel like needs to be um, talked about. Um, recently, we talked about healthcare and the pandemic, right, and how it's um, affected, uh, affecting certain communities of color. Um, we, uh, we, we have the podcast we um, record weekly, um, every Tuesday night. It comes out on Facebook. Um, we've been doing it a little over a year now, and it's it's a great experience. Um, I think we've had some amazing and phenomenal guests on our show um, to really just um, talk and be their true, um, authentic selves and and share their stories. We find that the the power of stories are so important, and it resonates so much with our our viewers. Um, so yeah, and we're we're really proud of that that platform. And how did you come up with the name, the cultural flip side? That actually was, um, I was, ironically, the way I got onto the show was I was a guest on the show and there, um, Kevin actually was on the show and and he came up with the name first um, and he wanted something that really encompassed, he wanted to talk about, keep it, um, you know, culturally centered um, and, you know, he wanted to, you know, just do a flip onto what typical podcasts are. Um, And, you know, we, we have prayer in our podcast. We usually have some jokes and talk about you know, just everyday world. We wanted it to be just really um, not too, you know, yes, we're, you know, in the professional setting, it is professional, but we wanted it to be a little bit, you know, laid back as well. So people can connect and, um, you know, we wanted to show people our other side as well. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we, um, that's how we came up with the name. Uh, He did actually, and I love it. (laughs) And I I Mm -hmm. actually love the premise of your show because you know, what you are doing is embracing fully your culture and, and your identity and who you are. I mean, even from the point that you're saying of you're including prayer in it, because that's mm-hmm. a part of who you are. And when we think about um, really people of color, color tend to be very spiritual. Doesn't mean that we're always practicing a particular religion, right. but we come from this place where we honor the land, we honor spirit in the land, we honor it, even in the people that we engage with. We, it's just such a part of who we are. And I think that we miss out on that, whether it's in the education system, in corporations, wherever we are, when we, in, when we refuse to embrace the individual and who they are. Really quickly, Daisy, before we run out of time, is there anything else that you'd like to say to our audience that we, we didn't cover around any of the topics or, or anything else? You know, I just wanted to, you know, thank you again, Dr. Avery, for this opportunity. Anytime that you can get people together, like I mentioned, to share their stories, to speak freely, openly, honestly, to be their true authentic selves really is when you begin to, for some people, it's a healing process. And for others, it's a way to um, just, uh, you know, get things off your chest. And it's a way to educate and empower people. And I really think that, um, you know, whenever we can, you know, do that, whether it's at in your in your space at work, whether it's in your own home, personally, whether it's um, in through podcasts or social media platforms, I think that power uh, is really important in terms of helping. You never know what, who you're going, what word is going to bless or help someone or what, what part of your story is resonating with someone out there. Right. right. And I, and, and I really feel um, that these platforms um, and what you're doing and the work that you're doing is really, really impactful. So thank you for that. You are welcome. Now tell folks, how can they get in touch with you if they want to know more about you? Perfect. Um, so you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, Daisy Torres. Um, you, if you're interested in um, checking out our podcast, you can just um, look up at 
Cultural Flipside on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're looking to find me through email, you can find me at supervisor06320 at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Daisy, for being on the show and educating us today around bilingualism, multilingualism, and also uh, just things regarding the Latinx community and colorism. We only scratched the surface of Mm -hmm. all of that today. There's more to come. I want to invite my uh, guests, those of you who are listening, if you want to know more about ways to dismantle racism, please do visit my website sacredintelligence.com. My next course uh, on dismantling racism is coming up in a couple of weeks. So I invite you to uh, take part in one of those courses because we really do want to eradicate racism. Please do stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where Sam helps you to awaken your humanity and walk through life with the greatest of ease. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest the good in you and those around you. Know that we are all one and exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.